Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions, and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrooks.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me, Sam Matterface. And with me, as always, is TalkSports Chief Football Correspondent Alex Crook and the former Benfica, Chelsea, Charlton, West Ham, Rotherham left back. It is the one and only Scott Minto, here's what's coming up on the show. We know Jurgen Klopp doesn't like to be playing in a, in a lunchtime kickoff after a, a Champions League. Where did you a, get that impression? I, I don't know. But he doesn't know like to talk about it. He doesn't like to talk about it. I think Sir Jim Ratcliffe is playing the long game here. He does want overall control eventually. Initially, he wants to be in charge of the football department. I just don't think Chelsea have the quality uh, uh, to match them. Oh, I, they have the quality, but they don't have the consistency and they don't have the clinical finishing. Man for man, how many Chelsea players get in that Chelsea. I've seen City's last two performances. I was pretty underwhelmed, to be honest. I think Arsenal were worthy winners in the end and, and City were probably worse than they were at Arsenal against Wolves in their previous game. I don't think it'll be a three-year ban because it sounds like he's cooperating with the authorities. As you say, some sources initially suggesting that actually he's confessed to the authorities and they will take that into account. And that's why uh, Fagioli in the end escaped with a, a seven-month suspension. International break is over. Premier League takes centre stage once again. I think it was a good international break for England. You can't argue about the fact that they've won the group and they've qualified with two games to spare, right? First of all, in the Australia uh, game, I, I disagreed with a lot of what people said. I, I learned a lot, whether it be the players that can step up or yeah. the players that can't. Which I was the was idea, a, right? I thought it was a really interesting game in, in that sense. Not a classic, but Gareth would have learned a fair bit out of that. You don't get out much, do you? Mate, you're just looking for a 4-0. Oh, England didn't win. Oh, didn't dominate. No, honestly, I, there's a lot of players who, who stepped up and some who say, OK, you're not quite ready at the moment. Do you fall into what Martin Samuel called this morning in The Times, a nation of Eeyores? What did he mean by that? I think he probably meant that you carry around your own rain cloud and always looking for the pessimistic angle. Um, and, and you're may, a donkey. Maybe historically, I just didn't enjoy <laughs> the game. I thought it was a tough watch. You know, I, I watched it with the kids. They were pretty keen to go to bed. Well, let's talk about Italy. I thought it, that one. It, Italy was much better. And... and um, I think what I take away from this international break, I watched France on the same night destroy Scotland. I watched Spain the previous week. I think they're a long way off England and France. Obviously, I went over to Portugal to watch them beat Luxembourg recently. I think they could be a dark horse. But to play golf, England, England or France, you know, they're probably the two bookmakers' favourites. But I think they are the two best teams in Europe. And I think England, in a player with Jude Bellingham now, have someone who genuinely every nation in the world will fear. Look, yeah. very quickly on, 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 on that, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. The Australia one, you learnt, it, Gareth would have learnt a lot, but actually it was all about the Italy game and that's why the strong team, to come back from 1-0 down, 
Uh, Jude Bellingham, an absolute star. But for me, Harry Kane is more important. I think you can't necessarily replace Bellingham like for like, but we have great attacking players. Um, but Harry Kane's not playing in the Euros. We're struggling. It's England and France, the two favourites, and there's no reason after, especially after that performance, but not just because of it. There's, we should go into the Euros thinking we have, a, we have an unbelievable chance. I don't want to say we're going to win it, but they should be thinking we should win it. Might not end in glory, but there's no reason now why we can't expect that it might happen because of the way they're performing. They're starting to talk like that too. They believe they can do it. Do Liverpool believe that they can be top of the pile by the end of the weekend? There's already a wall of noise at Anfield and it's just about to get louder. This is Merseyside. This is the Merseyside derby. And it's in from Salah. Off the post. Brilliant finish on the half volley by Mo Salah. Henry from Tartopsi and they've scored. Everton rolled the dice and all of a sudden they're taking their chance. Newcastle, Almiron, oh lovely one-two in the area. Sells the goalkeeper and nicks it past him. McBurney comes back to Archer and he delivers from the edge of the box. Norman Tomilay wins the game for Manchester United. The Premier League, absolutely magnificent. Yes, the Premier League is back. It's a mammoth Saturday of Premier League action. And we start on TalkSport 12.30 with live coverage of Liverpool and Everton in the Merseyside derby, the 294th. Merseyside derby. Everton have not scored in the last three against uh, Liverpool. And this looks a little bit of a mismatch. And of course, it's all coming with a bit of a cloud surrounding Everton. I'm sure they're a, a club of Eeyores at this moment <laughs> in time because that takeover looks as if it's hit the skids. Yeah, we're not surprised by that, are we? Uh, I think you and I both voiced our concern when 777 partners were, were linked with this takeover. Big money takeover. It looks like they haven't presented the the relevant documents on time. Could still happen, um, but let's wait and see. But again, as you say, it's another dark cloud hanging over Everton after a pretty disappointing start to the season. And their record in this fixture is lamentable. One win since 1999 at Anfield. Liverpool have won eight of the last ten. I think Liverpool have been pretty solid at the start of this season. So you would expect that Liverpool will win the game. However, they do have this habit that we've spoken about on the podcast of conceding the first goal of falling behind yeah. and having to, to do it the hard way. So, so maybe that gives Everton a little bit of hope. Yeah, I think last um, time that they won at Anfield was during the lockdown period. I spoke to Carlo Ancelotti afterwards and he said it doesn't count uh, because <laughs> there was no one there. Uh, and Anfield is going to be a very different place um, on Saturday than it was on that particular day. And you're right to point out the head-to-head, but the gap between the two in terms of quality... Yeah. I think has got wider since the summer break. That's what I've got written down here, mate. Um, I think the gap is absolutely massive. So actually, if, if Everton are to get anything out of this game, I think this is the perfect timing. We know Jurgen Klopp doesn't like to be playing at a, at a lunchtime kickoff after a, a Champions League. Where did you a, get that impression? I, I don't know. But he doesn't like to talk about it. He doesn't like to talk about it. Um, but he's not wrong. What is it, the 14th time in the next well, I think. But six? what's more worrying for this season is, is that after the September international break, they were given the 12.30. After the October international break, they were given the 12.30. And in ahead of the November international break, we already know they're going to play Manchester City away yeah. from home at 12.30. But, but at least that's the same for both. You know, basically everyone's trying to catch Man City. Uh, and we'll come on to them in just a second. But that, that's, that's the aim. So at least it's kind of as a level, level playing field. But what I would say is in terms of Liverpool, 
they're probably way ahead of what they expected because, you know, they had the heart of that midfield ripped out. The captain's gone, you know, vice captain's gone, other midfielders have gone, new midfield come in. Shabozla has been superb. McAllister hasn't quite been as good, but I think that's because he's been playing a little bit out of position. The one, I think, um, problem they do have is they're still giving away chances. You talked about conceding that first goal. And maybe that's because they haven't kind of nailed down who's going to be playing in front of the back four and protecting the defence. But going forward, they have some of the best strikers in Europe, certainly in terms of a department. And the midfield, I think, is excellent. So this, is the, this would be the perfect choice that Everton would have. But I think it's a, it's a comfortable Liverpool win. I really do. Uh, Liverpool, three points off the top. If they do win, the likelihood is with their goal difference, they will end up being top before everybody else kicks off on Saturday afternoon. Are they genuine title contenders? We've sort of said before that we think that they're in the race. Are we now sort of pretty certain they're going to be? I think if they can stop giving away chances, stop giving away early goals, then they've got a, a tremendous opportunity to be part of the conversation. I think you have to be impressed with how quickly... Jurgen Klopp has turned it around following that summer rebuild. I think you also have to be impressed with how well Mo Salah has managed to shut out the noise over that possible move to Saudi Arabia. He looks as good as ever. So, yeah, I think... He's providing a lot more chances and assisting a lot more again. He was a goal scorer for a long time, but he's creating more. He is. And I think, bearing in mind, they're not in the Champions League. Okay, they're playing in the Europa League, but it's not their priority. They can afford maybe to rest players in that competition. I think... I think they look nailed on for a place in the top four. And I think, therefore, you have to say they're in the race. So two wins in the last three for Everton. I mean, let's just say they don't get anything from this game. Let's be honest, it's unlikely. It doesn't look like it. Are they still on the right road to keeping themselves away from the relegation zone? The recent results would, and, and performances have probably shown that. But you just never know with Everton, do you? No. You know, they, they can take one step forward and then two back. Um, and I think the Luton game really is probably the perfect example of that, where you're thinking, right, you've had a couple of really good results. Kick on, especially against a team that's going to be down there, and, and they don't. I think James Garner's been a, a big player for them. Uh, I thought it was a really good goal, and the body language he showed in the goal as well, really sort of positive um, against Bournemouth. Yeah. And I think that was a really important win after losing to Luton to beat a team like Bournemouth who are struggling themselves. But also adding goals from different areas as well, like Jack Harrison scoring. I know there was a mistake by the goalkeeper. Even Garner's goal comes from a bit of a mistake in the build-up to it. Yeah, but they made that mistake happen. Exactly. You know, so I think, I think what it is, it's the weight of the pressure. And if Sean Dyche is able to try and somehow take that pressure off and, and they just go on a little bit of a roll. I think they're capable of getting away from it. I wouldn't say at the moment that they're out of it by mm. any stretch of the imagination, but one step forward and no steps back. At the are, are we all now au fait with XG? Are you happier with XG now that Sean Dyche has adopted it? No, even you could ignore it now, right? Uh, I've started to pay a bit more attention even Good. before him, to be yeah. fair. But, it's been uh, a couple of years I've been trying to get you into yeah, it. Yeah, us two dinosaurs are now clearly on the same, uh, same wavelength. <laughs> just about. Um, I wonder if you're on the same wavelength as the Manchester United fans, you tend to try and be. Um, they take on Sheffield United live on TalkSport, 8 o'clock on uh, Saturday night. What's the latest on the takeover? It's not a takeover, is it? It's a, what's the latest on an investment? Yeah, on the, on the partial takeover, shall we call it? Because obviously we know that Sir Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos do have ambitions to one day in the not-too-distant future, be the majority shareholders. Are you happy about this or what? You're going to cheer up about it. You've been moaning about the Glazers for so long. Surely this is a step in the right direction. I think it is a step in the right direction. I wasn't particularly happy about it over the weekend when Qatar pulled out. Not that I was necessarily completely comfortable with the idea of Sheikh Yassin coming in, but I think any takeover that involves the Glazers retaining control 
obviously is not going to go down particularly well in the eyes of Manchester United supporters. And I understand that. But I think Sir Jim Ratcliffe is playing the long game here. He does want overall control eventually. Initially, he wants to be in charge of the football department. I think Richard Murta, Is that going to happen? Uh, sorry, John Murta and Richard Arnold um, could be in trouble. I, well, I think that's going to be a, a key stumbling block in negotiations. And I think, actually, the Glazers might be quite happy for him to oversee the football department because that's not really been the department they've been massively interested in during their tenure. They're more interested in the commercial deals, which you have to say they're very successful at. That's not a part of the business that is failing. So I think if it is to happen, there's a board meeting, obviously, on Thursday. It's not guaranteed there'll be a vote on this proposal. In fact, probably there won't be a vote yet. Even once it is all agreed at board level, it's still going to take several weeks for the Premier League to ratify it. So it's not going to be an overnight fix. And even if he's in situ by January... They still can't splash the cash, United, because they're still operating under the same FFP restraints. They, they so don't is... necessarily usually do that anyway, no. do they? Um, but Eric Ten Hag, how, how's his position now? Because there were reports last week, there's a little bit of impatience amongst the board. I mean, I must admit, with all the other instability around the club, I think it would be a major mistake now to try and rip up a transfer process, which has basically been an investment in his judgment at this juncture. Is he under any pressure? Not from what I'm told. Uh, obviously, I reached out to sources close to United a few weeks ago when they were struggling. Before Will it change if Jim Ratcliffe takes over? Against Brentford and was told that his position wasn't under review. And from what we understand, Sir Jim Ratcliffe is prioritising other areas in the management structure at this moment in time rather than the man in the dugout. But clearly, if the poor run of form was to continue and you've got uh, somebody on the board who's now in charge of the footballing decisions, he might have a different viewpoint. But at the moment, I, I don't see it as a problem for Eric Ten Hag. Manchester United won their last match in dramatic circumstances uh, against Brentford. Are we expecting this to be a little bit less dramatic against Sheffield United? Look, you would think so, wouldn't you? Uh, I think it's a game that, you know, Man United need to be winning and winning pretty comfortably to, to actually start to, to turn around, not just some Ten Hag, but what's going on off the field as well as on the field. But on the field... All Ten Hag can do is control the controllables. And he's having problems with certain players. We know about that. Trying to get, I want to see Marcus Rashford, how he played for England, playing like that for United. He still didn't trap back in the first half, though. No, he, he didn't. And, and the goal came from that. And, but I don't think that was from a lack of trying. That was just because he's not sort of used to it. And there is a difference. I'd much rather uh, someone make a mistake because they, they tried, but they didn't quite know how. And look, we, you show a bit of video analysis, do this next time. For any United shirt, it looks like he's not even bothered. So he's certainly got to try and get this. I, I would, if I were a United player right now, I'd be looking at this and saying, look, obviously get the, get the game won first, but let's try and put in a really good performance, score three or four. And I feel sorry for Sheffield United. I feel sorry for Paul Heggenbottom. You know, he's had the heart ripped out. I think in Jaya, people, you, you can't believe, not just in terms of how good he was going forward, but the pressing that he was, he was doing last season yeah. as well, how much they're missing him. And it all happened so late. There was no time to be able to replace him or look for alternatives. Absolutely. And, and the players that are bought in are perhaps bought for the future when they need them for the here and now. Yeah. And I do worry for Paul Heckenbottom. I think any, almost any manager in the world wouldn't have kept Sheffield United or won't keep Sheffield United up. So what do you mean by you're worried for him? I'm worried for him that the owners will say, well, it looks like we're going down. We've got to be seen to be doing something or I want to do something. And he'll lose his job, which I think would be very, very hard. He has survived another international break. You know, historically, this, this international break is one where managers can lose their jobs. It's happened quite a lot in the EFL. Will he survive until the next international break? 
I think he's going to need to put some points on the board. But this is a massive week for Manchester United. Huge. Copenhagen in the Champions League on that Tuesday. That massive game, the big hitters of European football. No, but they have to win that game or they're out the Champions League before the competition's yeah. even started. Yeah. And then, of course, the Sunday session comes live from Old Trafford for a Manchester derby. So this is, this is a pivotal week. I was pleased to see Rashford get on the score sheet against Italy. Hopefully that will do his confidence the world of good. Hoyland scored again despite uh, being kicked off the pitch by all accounts in, in their game against San Marino. So maybe there are a few reasons to be positive. And Mason Mount's been fully rested as well for this international break. Great. Manchester United have lost five of their last eight games. Sheffield United yet to win a game. Could that change this weekend? We'll find out. Uh, what's going to happen at Stamford Bridge? Because Arsenal, hold on a second, the odds suggest that no, they're not big favourites for this game. Why not? A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. We were looking at the odds prior to the start of this podcast. And Arsenal, odds against for a game against Chelsea, which seems ridiculous, bearing in mind Chelsea have won two games at home this season. One of them against Wimbledon, and the other one was against Luton Town. And um, Brighton, don't forget Brighton. Oh, yeah, sorry, they beat Brighton. That's three mm, games. Yeah. Wow. Hold on. Maybe I've got to the root of the, uh, of the issue. Um, is there a reason to be optimistic about Chelsea? I think so with Chelsea. And don't forget the Burnley performance as well, away from home. That was away from home. Though. Away from home, yeah. But, but still... I thought Raheem Sterling was superb. Mm -hmm. uh, Nicholas Jackson, I think there's, there's Brozier and Jackson. Jackson, for me, I, I've always said... Broyer. 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 Got to get it right. Broyer. Okay, let's get it right. I'm really pleased that at least there's a bit of sort of strength in depth up front. So Jackson can be taken off if it's not quite happening. Yeah. But Jackson, for me, is a player. And look, I've, I've said all along, almost all the players, all the games they've played in this season over the 90 minutes, they've been the better side. Absolutely. They've created chances. They just haven't scored the goals. But this is another step up. And it's actually the next five or six games for Chelsea. Very, very difficult. <laughs> this, is, this is a big run, isn't it? Because you've got the likes of City, Newcastle, Brighton, Manchester United and Tottenham all coming after they play Brentford in, in the next game after this one. It's a key period for Maurizio Pochettino. And because they haven't done so well in the fixtures that you would expect them to do yeah. well in at the beginning of the season, it heaps the pressure on them. Now, we've been a bit facetious about, I've been a bit facetious about Chelsea's quality because I've dampened my expectations now. My, my pessimism has, has kicked in. But actually, I think Scott's right. Are you Scott's an Eeyore? Right. Are you an Eeyore with, I have with, been a bit of an Eeyore Chelsea. about Chelsea, but not okay. too much because I've sort of been a bit sort of be you know, phlegmatic about it okay. rather than pessimistic. Um, however, 
I think they have started to play a little bit better and they have been in matches. But this is a whole different level playing yeah. against Arsenal. I mean, Arsenal, look, they played so well against Manchester City. If they play with the same sort of concentration against Chelsea, then this is a, this is a three points for them for the fourth time in a row at Stamford Bridge. And their away record is imperious this season as well. They've not conceded a goal yet, let alone drop a point on their yeah. travels. So, yeah, I think this is a big step up in, in the calibre of opponent. In some ways, maybe the international break didn't come at a great time for Arsenal. Okay, it might give them the opportunity to get Bukayo Saka fit. But after beating Man City, we were there. It was, uh, you know, very pumped up at the stadium. The fans came out, I think, with real belief. They probably would have wanted another game quickly on the horizon. They've had to wait for a couple of weeks. But as you say, if they pick up in this game where they left off in that one, I just don't think Chelsea have the quality uh, uh, to match them. They have the quality. But they don't have the consistency and they don't have the clinical finishing. Man for man, how many Chelsea players get in the Arsenal Chelsea, team? Chelsea as a team, as I say, pretty much every game they've played, it is a step up, don't get me wrong. And it's an important game for Arsenal to make a statement as well. That Are you gonna... talking about potential quality or actual quality? I... Which Chelsea players would Mikel Arteta no, I... take at this moment no, in time? No, but it's not, a, it's not a question of who gets in how many Arsenal. Of course, there's more Arsenal players. What I'm saying is... Chelsea in pretty much every game they've played so far this season have been in it. Have been more than in it. They've been the better side, I think, in most of them. And I even go back to the first game of the season against Liverpool, and Liverpool are doing well at the and moment. The West Ham game that you were at, they were that, a better team. And than the that. West Ham game, Forest, they were much they were better. They were still better. They were still. Forest played it, broke tactics absolutely spot on, but they had the chances to, at the very least, equalise, if not win the game. Um, but you're right. This is a step up. I think they do have the quality. But the bottom line is Arsenal are much more the team and have a higher quality. Are Arsenal where Chelsea want to be or where Chelsea's owners want them to be? Yeah, I'd have thought so. But I guess Mikel Arteta is living proof that that takes time because obviously you've got that FA Cup in lockdown year quite early in his tenure. Then many Arsenal fans, the majority of Arsenal fans, were calling for his head after not seeing too much progress, missing out in the Champions League, starting a season poorly. The owners... Stuck with a project, they backed him in the transfer market and are now reaping their rewards. I think that's a lesson not just for Chelsea, but for Manchester United, who we've been talking about as well. That actually sometimes you have to have short term pain as Chelsea are for long term gain. And Maurizio Pochettino is as good a manager to have to turn it around. Who else would you put in there to so, do this job? Uh, would you be pleading patience no matter what happens in this six week period? Absolutely. What, what are we suggesting that Poch should be well, under you pressure? You know, we're for not job. suggesting that that's the case. No. Because we've had the conversation on this programme many a time that actually the only way that Chelsea succeed now is by investing in him because he's the only one in the room the only adult in the room that's got experience of, of football I've talked about how I feel sorry for Graham Potter last season and Frank Lampard as well because what the owners did by trying to be clever and putting in long-term contracts kids under 25 with talent but still nothing like knowing what the Premier League was like when you have a bunch of them and you have 35 40 players in the squad any top manager will tell you they want not even, well, maybe half of that. So I just think Poch this time around is, is realising that what Stamford Bridge faithful have seen has not been good enough last season to try and turn the mood around there, to try and generate a team. He can't stick the ball in the back of the net. At the moment, I think he's doing pretty well considering. But these next five or six games, you know, the media will pile on him if they, if they lose most of them. But absolutely stick with Poch for me. Please patience. Um, Chelsea have bought a building in the uh, international break, haven't they? They've bought the, uh, the uh, Stoll Mansions behind Stamford Bridge, which gives them an extra acre. If you look at the map of where it is, it means that they'll be able to just maybe tilt the pitch around the other way 
and build bigger if they decide that that's the right thing to do? Are you an advocate of them staying at Stamford Bridge no matter what? Oh, I'd look, I'd love them to stay at Stamford Bridge if they can. We know that Roman Abramovich looked at it and, and struggled to, to find a way. So if they are finding a way and they're able to do it, even if they have to go away for a few years and come back, it's a spiritual home if you can. You should always try and stay yeah, your own state. Yeah, take five years to rebuild it, apparently. Where are you going to play in the meantime? Where would they go? Wembley? Wembley? Possibly. You can only do a certain number of events at Wembley, though, can't you, over the course of a year, as Tottenham found? Well, look, they'd find a way. I don't think they would have spent the amount of money they've spent without knowing what the end game would be yeah. and also what would happen in between. So it will be interesting to see what does happen. Manchester City kick off against Brighton at three o'clock on Saturday afternoon. Is this the most underrated game of the weekend? Why on earth is this not on television? I don't understand it. The best game I went to last year involved these two teams. <laughs> well, I... <laughs> City play Tuesday, do they, in the Champions League next week? Yeah. I believe they do. And there wasn't another kickoff time once you'd had Chelsea, Arsenal, yeah. Sheffield United, Man United, and then the, the lunchtime game, which is the Merseyside derby. Well, the Sheffield United one got moved forward much to our uh, delight because it meant we picked it up on TalkSport. That was originally Sunday, but yeah. again, because United are playing on Tuesday, that's come forward 24 hours. But I see what you're saying. This is a, this is a really intriguing fixture for me. I, I've seen City's last two performances. I was pretty underwhelmed, to be honest. I think Arsenal were... Worthy winners in the end and, and City were probably worse than they were at Arsenal against Wolves in their previous game. Obviously, they've missed Rodri. Haaland has been very quiet in the last couple of weeks. And it just feels to me like City have lost a little bit of that intensity and that drive that drove them to the treble last season. It, it, and, and you don't want to be coming up against Brighton if you're not quite firing. Yes, and they themselves have said they're not quite firing and they're struggling to deal with the increased number of fixtures. But they are averaging almost two point seven goals a game this season. Can Rodri stem that flow? Does his return make all the difference? Well, I think it makes a big difference. I really do. And I think the fact that it's shown what's happened with him out the side. And Is that gone, a worry? Yeah, that you rely on one person so much. You know, it's interesting that Kevin De Bruyne was out and yet they were... Going, you know, still winning games. What what did, does make me laugh is that our six wins out of six, and everyone's saying, "Ah, oh, you know, English football's dominated by when one you say team." Everyone, you mean him? Well, no, more than him, more than him. Back to back defeats, <laughs> and, and, it's all over. and suddenly, you know, where yeah. City gone and Haaland's gone, and it's like, oh, come on. So what you're L saying is he's not the only flip flopper in the world. He, well, he is the biggest flip flopper yeah, in the is. world. Let's just say that. But look, there are ups and downs in a season. And sit, I, again, if you, if you remember, I did say it's not the start of the season. It's from the September international, where you have the internationals and then the Champions League games up until Christmas. Then we see more. And then we'll see if they are going to drop, that's when it will be. That's what we've seen so far. If they're still level or even a point or two ahead by Christmas, I'm sorry, I do believe they'll kick on. So it's time now for the teams like Arsenal and Liverpool to really try and nail it. That was a long-winded way of saying I was right by Scott Minter. <laughs> <laughs> what, like you on White and Jordan? <laughs> Listen, we won't go there. Don't, wanna, don't embarrass Simon any further. Um, Brighton have beaten Manchester United in Newcastle, but they haven't kept a clean sheet. Is that the only thing that's stopping them from making a challenge for the Champions League? Yeah, although if you look at the run of games they've had, they've come through some pretty difficult tests already. You, you, you mentioned a couple of them there. Obviously, the defeats. Aston Villa was a little bit of an anomaly. It wasn't really a 6-1 game. They had a couple of decisions that didn't go their way. They lost 3-1, I think it was, at home to West Ham in a match when actually they dominated and just didn't take their chances. But I do think De Zerbi has made a little bit of a rod for his own back when it comes to conceding goals because he keeps changing the defence. He changes the goalkeeper on a regular basis. I know they're trying to find a way to balance Europe on a Thursday night with their Premier League commitments, but I think he needs to settle on his best team, certainly in the Premier League, and not regularly make as many changes as he does. Why? 
because I think it disrupts the squad. You know, I think, I think certainly in the goalkeeper position, and we've had this debate, we've had this debate from, from members of staff at Brighton who haven't got a problem with it, but you need to know who your number one goalkeeper is. Scott has been a, a defender of some standing in the Premier League. You wouldn't have wanted a different goalkeeper behind you every you're being, other week. You've been complimentary now because you want me to back up what you're saying. Absolutely. You, you notice that tactic. I was surprised he didn't touch your knee at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, you're absolutely spot on, especially in terms of goalkeeping. And what I've said about, you know, Mikel Arteta, I just don't see the one and one two or two number ones. And, and we're seeing that now. David Raya is the number one. What I would say is what they can do is they can have a team for the Premier League and they can have a team for the yeah. Europa League. And if that means that the Europa League, they don't do particularly well, which they are struggling a bit, then so be it. Again, I, th I think Brighton fans should pinch themselves. And I don't think they're criticising in any way. No. This is Brighton playing mm. in the Europa League, Absolutely. talking about possible Champions League places. By the way, that, you said they were struggling, but they were, there was a stirring comeback against Marseille well, away from home. No, absolutely. And they're still getting used to playing in Europe. Mm. We're talking about Brighton possibly going for Champions League places. This is as good as it gets. Now, I said at the start of the season, they could look as if they're going to try and fight for it. But combining the two, they'd struggle too much. I don't think they'll finish in the top four. Genuinely don't. I'll stick with that. Can they finish top six? I think they'll even struggle with that if they go deep in the Europa League. But still, it's a wonderful time to be a Brighton fan. And yeah, defensively, I get what you're saying. But De Zerbi, what he's done, the positives far outweigh the, the negatives for me. Um, with Pep and Manchester City, obviously a, a rare sort of situation for them. They don't usually lose two in a row, let alone three no. in a row. So there's a bit of pressure on them, actually, isn't there? Yeah, and they have lost their last three domestic games because, of course, they lost in the cup at Newcastle as well. So I think there is. I mean, Pep won't want that narrative. And he'll be, he'll be quick, I'm sure, to Will he tell you what the away. other narrative is? I think you'll try. Um, Crook asked him a question the other week about uh, whether or not the, the, you know, the situation was about losing two games in a row. But that's not the story. <laughs> Doing the editor's job, it's not the story. The story is Arsenal winning for the first time in 12 games. It was a, I have to say it was a very clever retort. But I guess in some ways... How did you answer that, by the way? Did you just crumble or did you say, no, Pep, I'm sticking with my story? No, he kept talking. Okay. Pep, Pep kept talking. No, he's good at that, Pep. Um, but yeah, that could be a negative for Brighton, couldn't it? The fact that Man City are a bit wounded going into this game. Yeah, I agree. Mm. So okay. they want to come out and uh, make a, a name for themselves. Other games this weekend, Nottingham Forest against Luton. Three wins between them in 16 Premier League combined games. Um, has that got draw written all over it? What? Neil Forest. Yeah, I'll go with that as well. Yeah? Forest, Forest are good at home, aren't they? Yeah. City ground, it kept them up last season. It will keep them up this season as well. Sunday, Aston Villa against West Ham. West Ham have mm. a great record against Aston Villa. Did you know this? No. Villa haven't beaten West Ham in 10 attempts. Why are they their bogey team? I've no idea. I didn't even know Is it because know they're that. playing Claret and Blue, do you think? <laughs> they get confused? They pass into the wrong yeah, players. Yeah, like, uh, Villa players that could be a really it. good game, by the way. You talked about um, Brighton Man City. I, I think... I think that'll be entertaining. That'll be goals. I can see a 2-2. Well, it should be that. a goal fest because neither of the defences can keep clean sheets. Three clean sheets between them this season. Yeah, but I think, I think and you spoke about the, the, the West Ham uh, Brighton earlier in the season. I thought Moise was absolutely superb with the tactics and I think they could have played another 90 minutes and I don't think Brighton would have won that. It was one of those games where they just couldn't break West Ham down and I wouldn't be surprised if it's something similar here as well. You know, you can have the possession, we'll take the three points. But I think it will end up being a score draw. Yeah. Uh, Bournemouth against Wolves. Wolves have scored in all but one of their games this season. How much pressure is Andoni Ira Oleander? 
No, I wrote about this in the notebook on the TalkSport website. No imminent pressure. I think the Bournemouth hierarchy, as we've been saying, we're, we're willing to play the long game. They knew it could be a, a difficult start to the season. But Christ this is, is a marathon game. This is eight games without a win this season, 12 all told. But they've played a lot of the sides who are going to be competing for European places, so the fixtures gods weren't kind to them. But that's where this month is really important. Yeah. Um, and to lose the Everton game, I think, was a big blow. Agreed. So they, the next couple of games, they need to pick up draws, if not wins. You can see a draw here, actually. I, I, I don't think Gary O'Neill will lose. Uh, and the big story, of course, on Saturday is Brentford-Burnley, uh, because Darren England is returning as the fourth official. Did we ask Pep if that was a story? Yes, he, he said it he wasn't a story, okay. actually. He said, uh, and the Oscar goes to... Well, let's find out, because uh, certainly he's taking centre stage this Saturday uh, on TalkSport 2 will be Crystal Palace and Newcastle United, who have got a real problem. And that real problem is quite a significant one because Sandro Tonali, their £53 million signing from Milan in the summer, is under investigation for betting breaches alongside his international colleague uh, Nicolo Zaniolo at Aston Villa. His agent has declared that he's got a gambling problem, Tonali, and sources in Italy claim uh, on Wednesday morning that uh, Tonali has admitted to placing wagers on AC Milan whilst he was playing for the Serie A side. Now, I mean, arguably, I mean, he was betting on them to win. So you would think that that's a, a positive thing and not bringing the game into disrepute. But it is fundamentally against the rules. You know from the minute you walk into football, whether you are a physio, whether you are a, a, a press officer, a player, a coach, or associated with a football club in any way, shape or form, you cannot bet. What on earth is going on here? Well, it's stupid. First and foremost, um, obviously, if his agent's comments are accurate and he has got a gambling addiction, we have to take that into consideration. But even still, the boundaries, as you say, are pretty clear. And actually, they're even stricter in Italy when it comes to dishing out punishment for this kind of thing. Three-year ban. they are in England. I don't think it'll be a three-year ban because it sounds like he's cooperating with the authorities. As you say, some sources in Italy suggesting that actually he's confessed to the authorities and they will take that into account next why. Uh, Fagioli in the end escape with a, a seven-month suspension. Well, a 12-month ban, five of it suspended, so yeah. he has to miss seven, seven months. months. Yeah. So I would, I would expect a similar punishment uh, for Tonali, assuming those sources initially are correct. It's and not great for Newcastle, good sources. Is it? No, it's, it's, not, it's not great for Newcastle. And it might explain why they found it so easy to get him out of AC Milan, because that transfer did come out of nowhere. The Milan fans were a little bit disappointed. Are you suggesting that AC Milan knew this was coming down no, the track? I, th I think Newcastle will be asking that question. They'll have to prove it, won't they? Yeah. Well, in terms of um, him, Sandro Tonali himself, I mean, it might sort of explain why he has struggled to settle a little bit. I think, look, I think he was, whether it was that or not, going to England... The pace of the language barrier the Premier League. is a problem. What, Geordie? Well, he, uh, he, he apparently, and I don't know, mm. I haven't spoken to him about this, but I think talking to Eddie and, and people and the coaching staff, they suggest that sometimes getting those technical conversations and instructions over in quick succession yeah. has been difficult because of the language no, barrier. I, I remember when I went to Benfica and we went on, on pre-season to Holland and Brazil and I sat down with one of the members of staff and I said, look, I've written down 50 things here, man on, second post. Uh, drop off, push up. How do you say all these in Portuguese? Because you do need to know it. You know, mm. the, the pace of the game is so quick. And obviously it's quicker in the Premier League. So these are things that the defender I need to be thinking of. No, I don't know. Did whether... you learn them straight away? Yeah, Were they much. relevant? 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And, and Relevant did, to the game. Did you then turn around and go, right, I, I know I need to learn the language immediately and, and take steps to address that? Well, I always, I've always liked languages. Mm. Um, so at school, I, I did French and German, like French, didn't so much like German. Um, you know, I've learned Spanish now with, with a Colombian wife. Um, but when I went out there, I, I just thought, you know what, first of all, try and do well on the pitch. Second of all, learn the language. Mm. But what, as I say, going back to the football side of things, I said, what do I need to know in this split second that if I say something in English, he might not understand a Brazilian defender alongside me or yeah. a Paraguayan defender alongside me might not understand. So I need to be able to speak that that language, that those those one or two words. Push up, man not, you're the last man, that type of thing. So I thought it was absolutely crucial. Now, to 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 move to the north of England, I think I, th I think to move to London is one thing. To move to the north of England, and I love the north of England, but it's it's another thing to try and you know develop and get used to it. And obviously there's a, there is a language thing with, with English. And if he doesn't Although I did think he enjoyed Weatherspoons, um, so I thought that'd be okay. But if he doesn't, like we talked about Darwin Nunez, if you don't learn the language, it's very difficult to really settle into a different country. And it's very important in, in England to learn English because there's not many other English players or English people that actually speak outside Italian, of the club yeah. will speak it. So I, I think, yeah, after a brilliant debut, um, he's been pretty inconsistent. I think Sean Longstaff coming in has helped the midfield yeah. with him and Gamed Aish as well. But it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. So what, what would Newcastle do in the interim period? Because without Tonali, they'll have to make adjustments to the team. But also, it is, it's a significant investment that they already we already know that they've struggled with FFP and to comply with FFP. Do they need to replace him in January? And is that a possibility, bearing in mind those restrictions? I think it's difficult. I think you'll find they're already pretty much on the on the borderline when it comes to FFP. So, yeah, I, I don't see another £52 million outlay, that's for sure. I think in the short term, he might play against Palace at the weekend, depending how quickly he's mm. punished. Uh, Fagioli's ban has already been given. It has. So that was quick and quite swift, wasn't it? Yes. So if he's now admitted to doing it, you would expect that to happen pretty quickly too, right? You'd have thought so. Um, but I've got to say, Newcastle are remaining pretty tight-lipped. Eddie Howe, I think, will speak to the media probably on Friday. He's supposed to speak to the media today to someone and he didn't come on the program um, because there was an issue but it wasn't it was we, we agreed not to do it as a result of that yeah fair enough very difficult for him to sort of discuss that yeah issues. but he's gonna have yeah. to answer the questions at sooner or later and he's gonna have to do it on friday probably, he is but maybe they're waiting until the outcome has already been released which may well end up being in the case by friday i'm told at the moment they're treating tonali quite sympathetically i think they arranged a private aircraft to bring him home he was back at the training ground on monday before going back to italy to answer questions from Italian prosecutors. That is, that is the right thing to do, though. But if he has got a gambling addiction, you've got to look after him. Yeah. You? You've got to make sure all of the levers are in place. And by all accounts, if he has got a gambling addiction, they weren't aware of it when they signed him. Hmm. Uh, if he's got a gambling addiction, he needs help. I just think even if he hasn't got a gambling or let's speak generally, I think it's very easy to say you've got a gambling addiction to make it look like you can maybe get out of something because you've got a problem. So let's try and pinpoint whether he does have a problem and if he really does, then he absolutely needs help because he's not in control. It doesn't of what negate he's breaking the rules though, does it? At the end of the day, no, no matter whether you've got a, an addiction or not, the truth is if you're betting on your own team during a football match, you're bringing the game, the integrity yeah. of the game under question. You, you, that cannot happen. You will yeah. be punished. But what I think they're trying to do is show that he has an addiction, which means I think there will be leniency toward that. If he has admitted to it all, there will be leniency towards that. And, you know, the three to five year, well, that's, okay, that's in the rule book. That can be done, but it's, not, it's not going to but be done. You're you finishing a guy's do you, career. Do you think that the guys who run the, uh, the Federation in Italy, who were discussing this particular case yesterday, the day before, 
we're trying to sort of soften the image of these players that are involved in it by using words like these are boys, they are children, we need to protect them, we need to help them. Sam, outrageous to use those words because actually you're taking a responsibility away from him where even if he, first of all, he's an adult. So children are children who really do have, are naive and not quite sure what, what they're doing at the time. This is a guy who, whether he's in control of himself or not, he knows what he's doing. But it was outrageous to use the, the, the phrase of children and kids and that. But again, if he does have a problem, he does need help. But everybody's going towards that. I just feel it's almost like, how can we try and soften this blow as much as possible? Start using kids, the, the words kids and children. And it just dumbs down the people who do have proper addictions as well. So I just thought, I thought as outrageous those words were used. Yeah, we have to take it on face value. And, 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 and if he said he's got a gambling problem, then that needs to be treated and he needs to be looked after as a result of it. But it doesn't lessen the punishment. I don't think if you're betting on your own team uh, in football matches, if that indeed is what is proven. Uh, Newcastle have won five of their last six home games and they'll probably be in for a raucous welcome. They do have Crystal Palace who have done very well under uh, Roy Hodgson uh, since he came back even if they're, they're still not the most entertaining team. Um, they've done quite well, Newcastle, not getting distracted by the, the Champions League. They've got Borussia Dortmund in midweek. Yeah, they have. But I think this is, uh, this is a tricky game uh, before, before that European tie because Crystal Palace, they are what you'd expect them to be under Roy Hodgson. Defensively resolute, difficult side to play against. They proved that with their win at Old Trafford uh, a few weeks ago. I thought Mark Gay actually came out this international break enhancing his reputation, so he's going to be high in confidence. So I don't think this will be altogether straightforward for Newcastle. Indeed. OK, all right, that's TalkSport 2. Saturday at 3pm, Newcastle against Crystal Palace. Before that, Liverpool against Everton is live on TalkSport 2. We're around the grounds with Adrian Durham as well from 2.30. 3 o'clock, uh, Newcastle Palace, as I mentioned. 8 o'clock, Sheffield United against Manchester United on the Sunday session with Crookie and I start at one 30. Big week of football on the home of football, TalkSport. And we'll be back on uh, Monday afternoon to bring you a review of the weekend as well. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast and for watching on YouTube. If you would like to leave us a five-star review, we'd be absolutely delighted about it. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply.